Hey, grab your Bible, John 12, let's read that. So according to John's gospel, we are right at the very end of uh, the Passover week and Christ will be betrayed and arrested and beaten and mocked and all the things that are there. And, uh, and so we've got two more talks in John 12 and then we'll get to the upper room in John chapter 13. But we'll be in John 12, 36 through 43. So let's read that together. We dealt with the first part of 36 last week, but we'll put this here together. So while you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. And though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. And nevertheless, many of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So I want to remind us this morning as we begin, again, we're at the very end of uh, Jesus' last Passover. He will, be, he will be crucified soon. And what I want to remind us of is this, is that in the history of the church, in the history of even in the Old Testament, there has always just been a rem, rem, remnant, if I can say that word. It's not the many who really believe, but it's always really been, in each generation, a small core. And while over the centuries, there have been untold millions who have come to faith, there have been untold millions who haven't believed and it's even more in that. And so, so the Old Testament prophets write about this. It's really clear. Jesus speaks about that as well. And let me just remind us of one of the things that Jesus said in regard to this. In Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate, that there is a way that you must enter and you must come in to find life. And so he said, Enter by the narrow gate. Some don't choose that. Some don't take that path, and so he said, here's the warning, for the gate is wide, and the way it's easy, it's a wide gate, it's an easy path, and it leads to destruction, and those who enter it, Jesus said, are not few, they are many, there are many who enter this way, and then he described the narrow gate, and he said, for the gate is narrow, and those who enter that way, it's hard, it's a harder way to go to submit your life to God's sovereignty, to walk in obedience with Him, not to fulfill your flesh. And so, so the gate is narrow and the way is hard, but that way leads to life, not to destruction. And then Jesus said, and those who find it, they are few. And so what we're going to see today has much to do with what we are seeing in and around us in our culture. So at the end of Christ's ministry, three to three and a half years, depending on who you talk to, let's say it's three and a half years, and he has invested his life, he has done so many incredible things in the midst of the people, by healing, by teaching, um, unbelievable things. 
When you come to the end of it, there are not many people who are believing. There are still, once again, as things go, there are fewer groups of people who are embracing who Christ is. And so as we will look at our culture today, I want to make some application to kind of where we are today, because what John is going to communicate today with us is why things are the way they are. Why, why, why as we look at America, why are things the way that they are? And what we see is that what was taking place 2,000 years ago are the very same things that are taking place today. We are, we're not in need of greater revelation. We have all of the revelation that we need. So we're not waiting for a new prophet to come. We're not waiting for a new book so that we can add to the Bible so that we can understand things better. We have been given a full revelation of Christ in the Scriptures. Old Testament preparing us for His coming. New Testament, He has come. The Gospels explaining and giving us, or the Gospels revealing who He is. And then all the letters of the New Testament explaining what this looks like to walk with Him. And so here we are 2,000 years later, and while our country has a rich history of faith, we have not arrived at a place today of richness of faith except in the remnant. And there has been such a devastation of our walking away from the truth of God's Word. And so the context again today is um, the last week of Christ's life, probably the last 48 hours of where we are in regard to what John is communicating with us to kind of understand what is happening and taking place. And let's just be honest, even the apostles at the end of the last week are still wrestling with these things, aren't they? You'll remember, Judas is about to betray him. Peter is going to be told by Jesus, you're about to, be, you're about to deny me three times. And Peter's like, I am not going to do that. And so even though Peter's been forewarned of what's coming from Christ himself, watch, Peter doesn't have in and of himself the power to not allow that to happen. That's why we are in such desperate need of the power of God to fill our lives so that we will walk in obedience. And so Peter is told by Jesus himself, this is coming. Peter's in three moments that Jesus said are coming, and Peter just caves into it in that moment, and he does deny Jesus. We know that on the day that he has ascended, um, it says in Matthew chapter 28, that there, were there, there were those there in his presence, and they said that even some of them still were doubting. They just had some uncertainty about this. So our world has always been dominated by unbelief. It was that way in Noah's generation. We know that Noah was the, and his family were the only righteous family on the planet. Can you imagine that? Talk about loneliness. So God looked at the world in Noah's day and, and throughout the centuries, Israel as well, they were marked by what? Up and down faith. They didn't, for the most of their existence, walk with God in faithfulness. And so this, this aspect of people who are even religious, connected to God and Christ and the Spirit and the Father, um, haven't always been faithful and there's been a lot of wrestling. And so so what John's going to do is he's going to share with us, Jesus is going to step away, and John's going to, these aren't Jesus' words, John's going to insert, and he says, he's going to give us a little bit of perspective. This is, what ha- this is what's happened after three and a half years of ministry. This is where kind of people are in and around Israel in regard to who Christ is. And again, we will see some of these things in our lives as well and in and around um, 
our culture. So let's talk about verse 36, the second part of that. So the second part of verse 36 says this, when Jesus had said these things, and that was the first part, that he's the light, believe in the light, um, come, I am the light, he, you know, he, he shares that in the first part, while you have the light, which is myself, you need to believe in the light, and you will become sons of the light. And he's speaking about salvation, that he is the light of the world, and if we will believe in him, then we will become children of the light. And then... It gives us a physical description of what Jesus does after he says these words. So part B of verse 36 says this, that when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. What a tragedy. Can you imagine if they had embraced who he was, that he would have stayed right there and they would have worshipped him, but he withdraws in these last hours As he has shared with them, listen, I am the light. You need to come to the light. You need to believe in the light because you're only going to have the light for a little bit longer. And so they are continuing to reject him. And so Jesus does this in the text. And this continues to happen today. Is that he allows us to have what we want. And He will give that to us. And in the text here, it's this. You want a life without me and without my presence and without my light? You're going to reject me. I'm going to let you have that. And so He steps away in these last hours and these remaining hours before He dies, He hides Himself from the people and He gives them what they want in in the text here. And so the judgment is about to fall upon the nation because instead of believing in Him, they have rejected in him and you look all around us today and and what once was a great light of the gospel in our country has been dimmed it's not because the problem is with the gospel and it's not because um, the issue is with anything like that but the problem is is that God's people have drifted Peter writes these words he says judgment begins not with the lost world but judgment begins y'all remember what Peter says with the household of God. That one of the things that America needs most, yes, we want salvation to come to the lost in our country, but what America really needs is for the church to be awakened again to the truth of God's Word and the glory of who He is. And if that would happen, the transformation in families and neighborhoods and schools and all of this kind of stuff would be really, really significant. So the world has always been dominated by unbelief and rejection of God. It's not, no different today than it was in Noah's day, um, it, than it was when Christ was here on the earth, and it is in our day. We have had such great spiritual awakenings in the history of this country. Those, the light of that is dimmed in many ways of, of what took place, and I believe, and I hope you do too, that do you not believe that God can do something again in our country? And I believe that he can, and and obviously his power is enough to do something again. Uh, We are living in a day and time where, with progressive Christianity, um, the heart of the gospel has been replaced for lesser things and and other distractions that are connected. And so so I want to remind us this morning, unbelief is going to continue to dominate our culture. But what you and I need to do, if we have come to faith in Christ and we are a child of the light, There are some things we need to understand as to how things come about in the arrival of where we are in our American culture. So let's talk about that. 
So John tells us Jesus steps away after he's told them you're only going to have the light for a little bit more. He steps away because they are continuing to not believe in him. And so, so he's going to share with us this, this is what's behind the unbelief. Um, this is why they have ignored um, everything that Christ said and all that Christ was doing. So look in 37. And let's talk about the rejecting of the work and the evidence of Christ. So John writes in 37 is that though he, Jesus, had done, notice the word, so many signs before them, before the people, they still did not believe in him. Now let me remind us, John is an apostle. He is an eyewitness. He has been around with Jesus these three years. So he's been present when Jesus has raised children who were dead. He has been present when the blind got sight. Um, the deaf could hear, leprosy was cured, um, sickness was gone, demons were cast out. For th- over three years, John saw the miraculous work of Christ in the lives of people, physically doing things and his teaching and bringing salvation to the people. And so John as an eyewitness is telling us this, he did so many things that you can't even imagine So when you come to John chapter 20, verse 30 tells us this. And again, John is an eyewitness, and he says these words. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, saying this, I was one of those which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. The heart of of the gospel of John is that John wanted to communicate Jesus is the Son of God and he gave evidence that he's the Son of God by all of these miraculous things. And for John, who saw untold however many it was, he, he, when he wrote the gospel, he said, here, let me tell you seven unique things that Jesus did that I saw. And if you will look at these and you will consider these things, you will see that he's the Son of God and you need to believe in him. So in John chapter 2, he turns the, the water into wine. In John chapter 4, there's a, a royal official who comes to him and his son is dying and, and he's like, you've got to come back to my hometown. And Jesus says, no, I don't, I don't even have to be present. You just go home and your son is going to be healed. In John chapter 5, there's a paralyzed man who'd been that way for 38 years. And Jesus comes by and all he has to say is, pick up your mat and walk. And he gets up and he walks. In John chapter 6, got thousands of people who come. He's teaching. He's like, y'all got to feed these people something. And they're like, okay, there's, there's no pizza delivery places here. What are we going to do to take care of these people? And Jesus said, well, you, you guys figured it out. So Andrew brings a little boy who brings a lunch. Jesus multiplies that and he feeds somewhere around 20,000 people that day. John chapter 6, right after that, on the hills of that, he sends the disciples from the other side of the lake. And, and again, I just, this still astounds me. And then he walks on top of the lake all the way to the other side, demonstrating that he has authority and power over nature. In John chapter 9, there's a man who's been born blind. There was something wrong with his eyes, probably multiple things with his eyes, and Jesus spits in the ground and makes some mud and rubs it on his eyes and says, go wash. He goes and washes and he can see. In John chapter 11, 
There's a man who has been dead for four days. And Jesus calls him out. The voice of power calls him out of the tomb. And so John says, listen, I was there and I saw so many things that I can't even write about all the things that I saw him do. But I'm going to tell you about seven unique things that will lead you to believe that he is the Messiah and you must believe in him. And here's what has happened in Jesus' day. It is what is happening in our day as well. We live in a time, Jesus was in a time, where people rejected the work of Christ and the authority and the power that He had to do miracles and to teach and transform lives. Why? Why did they respond this way? You can go all the way back from Christ. You can go back 2,000 years and there's a guy named Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 12, God calls him to leave where he is and go to a new place. He's named, he's named Abram at the time and God tells him, you are going to be a father of many nations and from you is going to come one who's going to bless all the families uh, of, of the world and on the earth. And so for 2,000 years, from Abraham to Christ, they had been anticipating one is coming, one is coming. Now he's in their midst and they had been waiting for 2,000 years and now he's in the presence. And what's their response? We are not going to believe. We refuse to believe even though we are seeing and we are hearing what you do. Why? Why? Well, we know the reality of that. The reality was is that he would be rejected by his own. In John 1, 11, he says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And then we know that ultimately one of the reasons why people reject is because of sin. So in John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, this is what is written. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world. And here's the problem. People loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. And I tell you, in my mind, it's just, I don't, I don't know what it must have been like to be, can you imagine being in a room one day or being somewhere out in public one day and a man, his fingers have been grown over by skin and he's got leprosy and he doesn't have toes anymore and, and Jesus heals him and all of that's fixed immediately. I can't fathom what it would have been like to see that, but I just know this, that untold thousands saw that almost sometimes on a daily basis. And at the end of the three years, their response was on Friday. Y'all remember what their response was on Friday morning? Crucify. We don't want you. We want a life without you, though we've been waiting for you and the fulfillment of you for 2,000 years. And so there's a rejection then, there's a rejection now of the work and evidence of Christ. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that evidence and why we can trust in that in a moment. But let me give you something that probably you have experienced as well. So I had a fantastic Saturday yesterday. Not. So my wife has been gone and I've been working on stuff while she's been gone so that when she came back, There'll be all kinds of house stuff fixed that we've been wanting to do. And so yesterday morning, had great plans. You know, sometimes just don't plan. Just kind of, you know, or hold it very loosely. 
So yesterday morning, I worked all day Friday, got things cleaned out in my garage, got new shelves built, got things lifted off the floor. It was going to be awesome. I told the guys that helped me, when my wife drives into this garage, she's going to kiss me on the mouth. She's going to be like, you are awesome in what you've done. And so I was so highly anticipating that. Well, I was driving to the dump with all the stuff yesterday, and my oldest daughter calls me. If your children ever called you and they had that tone of voice, um, uh, what are you doing? And I'm like, I, I know, because I've been around for a while, that that's like, I need help. And so I was like, well, I'm driving to the dump right now. Um, I can tell something's going on. What's going on? I said, well, I've come to Allen to buy something for my apartment, and uh, my car won't go. And so I she said, I barely got off the road, and I'm, I'm at a place where everything's okay, but can you come and help me? So, so I go to the dump, get things out of the back of the truck. I drive down to where she is, and Alan, her serpentine belt has snapped. And so no power steering, and, and uh, now the, it won't start. And so, so, um, so I pull the belt out. I go to the nearest auto zone. It's about 1.2 miles away, and I, I was there five times yesterday. It was so great. I mean... Who doesn't want to live and spend your Saturday in AutoZone, the same one? So, so anyway, so, so we got the right part, and uh, so, so I'm in there. I'm like, hey, do you guys know any mobile guys that might be able to? And I called Chris Nix. He was no help whatsoever. He knows nobody. A guy in the car business doesn't know anybody to help me, but anyway. So I'm calling other people. My next-door neighbor, he's a policeman in Allen. I'm trying to get a hold of him. He's like, and he's not answering his phone. And so I don't know if people are like avoiding me or whatever the case. But anyway, so, um, so a guy in the store said, I tell you what, not too long ago, somebody really helped me. And I tell you what, I'd like to pay it forward. I'll come put your serpentine belt on. I'm like, yes, okay, all right. Because I'm clueless. I can put fluids in the car and change a battery, but that's about my expertise with cars. So this guy came over and he began to help us. He went home, got his stuff and began to help us. And um, I, sent, I sent Peyton away to, to get some drinks because remember if you were out yesterday, I spent four hours outdoors in Allen, Texas yesterday. My day was incredible. It was just really, really good. So, so I began to talk to the guy and he began to share some things with me. And, and so he, he told me that he and his wife were about to move to Tennessee um, they bought some acres there, and they're excited about going. And so I began to just talk with him. I was wanting to share the gospel with him. And he said, yeah. Um, I said, well, how long have you guys been married? And he said, well, we're not married, but we've been together for 23 years. And we're probably, if I could be honest, we're probably more married than a lot of people who are officially married. And he, when you have an occupation like mine, eventually as you talk to people, they they ask you, so what do you do? And he's not, he's not asked me this question yet. And so we've been talking a lot about him and what's going on. And, and so as he shares that he's been living with this woman that he considers to be his wife for the last 23 years, um, he says, you know, the church frowns on what we are doing. And then he says, so what do you do? <laughs> I'm like, well... And so as lovingly and as tenderly as I could, knowing that that was a very sore spot with him, you know, just shared with him why that's a big deal. And he said, well, you know, you'll, you'll recognize this. You know, for us, 
this seems to work for us and it's a better truth for us. And his foundational reason for that was they get better tax benefits by remaining single than marrying. And I just, you know, wanted to communicate it's worth the extra cost to do what's right in God's eyes. And so what I found out about this man was this. He was very kind-hearted and good, and I enjoyed spending time with him yesterday. But he's like many people in our culture. He knows the revelation of the truth of Scripture that you should be married. You shouldn't live with someone outside of marriage. But he just doesn't care because it's not practical. His truth is the more important truth. And so, so just want to set the foundation for us John here is writing, why is there all of this rejection of Christ? And all of this rejection of Christ has come because we've rejected the work and the power of Christ that's revealed to us in His Word. So let's go there next. Look at 38 and 39. So not only is there rejection of the work and evidence of Christ, as John says, He had done so many things and yet they still did not believe in Him. So in 38, he says, they also rejected the speaking and the written revelation of God. 38, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And therefore, 39 says, they could not believe. So the lack of belief did not become because they had not been given, given an opportunity to believe or they hadn't, hadn't heard enough information to be able to know who Christ is. But it stemmed from their refusal to believe. They were not going to believe. They were not going to believe that Christ was who He said He was. And so they chose an evil path to embrace their darkness in their own way and continue in that. And God does this. You see this at the end of Romans 1. And it's what we are seeing in our country today. God will give a nation what it wants. If you don't want me, I'll let you live your life without me. I'll, I'll let you have that. And I'll turn you over to yourself and so so here they've been waiting for Christ for 2,000 years now he's here and they don't want him and so in these last days he just in these last hours he steps away for a little bit from them and he's telling and again in the midst of him pleading believe in the light come to the light you're only gonna have it for a little bit longer and so so John writes here that by going to Isaiah that this response by this generation of people had been predicted 700 years before in the writing in the ministry of the prophet Isaiah. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but Isaiah is the prophet of the New Testament. He is quoted more, referred more in the New Testament writings than any of the other prophets, even more than Moses. He is mentioned by name 21 times. Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant that Isaiah writes about, this revelation, it's either quoted or strongly alluded to 85 different times in the New Testament. Here's a bit of trivia. Anybody know how many chapters or, that we have? I know chapters weren't originally there, but anybody know how many chapters that we had that we have now in the prophet Isaiah? Anybody know? 66, okay, 66. How many books do we have in the entire Bible? 66. You know what's interesting about when they separated into the chapters? It's, it's interesting, unique. I'm just, just throwing it out there today. The first 39 chapters, which there are 39 chapters in the, or 39 books of the Old Testament, the first 39 
chapters of the book of Isaiah speak about the judgment that comes because of immorality and idolatry. The next 27 chapters of Isaiah have all these New Testament themes about grace and forgiveness and the coming of the Messiah. Just a tidbit of information, just interesting that when the guy divided these things up, that that's kind of how it was divided up. And Isaiah just affirms over and over that judgment's coming because of immorality and idolatry and the rejection of God, and it was written down. And so now you come to the New Testament, and Jesus is quoting Isaiah. As a matter of fact, Jesus quotes Isaiah 16 times. Interestingly, eight of those times he quotes Isaiah are in the first 39 chapters. Eight others, the other eight, are in the next 27 chapters. And so to Jesus, this revelation from Isaiah about who he is was really incredibly significant. And Isaiah writes that, that this was a fulfillment of Scripture. This rejection of Christ was a fulfillment of Scripture. This was predicted 700 years earlier that Christ, when He came, would be rejected. Five of the seven I Am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John, guess what Old Testament book you go back to to look at those? The prophet Isaiah. Really significant Old Testament for us to understand things. And so as Jesus as, as John writes these words, he makes two really strong statements. One is just this, is that the rejection of Christ is the fulfillment of Scripture. And secondly, their rejection led them to a place where they would not believe. Look what 39 says. Because of this rejection of Christ, 39 says, therefore, they could not believe. This rejection was so grave that they could not believe. And this Isaiah verse that's quoted here by Christ is from Isaiah chapter 53 about the suffering servant. And so the might and the arm of the Lord had been revealed in Christ in the land and yet they had rejected Him. And you look around at our country today and God's Word is what constantly here in our country just mocked and ridiculed and rejected. And so when a nation and when a people reject not only the work and the evidence of what Christ did connected to His nature, but it eventually leads to a rejection of the revelation of God in Scripture. And that is part of the reason we are seeing some of the unbelief that is so prevalent today. Just an outright ignoring of the truth of God's Word. Sometimes, sadly, even in the church, a replacing of the power of the Gospel for social gospel and social things are important social things are are really important for us to live out and, and be concerned about those things but they flow out of a love for the gospel and the good news because jesus is the answer to those things many people today have a great revelation of who christ is they've heard it just like the guy i met yesterday and yet they ignore it for a later day no i'll, I'll get to that later I'll, I'll get to that later i'll come to christ later i'll believe later but i want to kind of i want to kind of do my wide gate, wide path thing right now. And there may not be an opportunity in the future. Don't, we should not ever fool ourselves that we are in control of opportunities. He is. Let's look at the third thing that John writes for us that's really important. Is there were repeated warnings to the nation of judgment to come. And because they ignored it, it led to two prominent things happening in the heart's of 
the Jews. They had a spiritual blindness and they had a hard heart that was really significant. Look at 40. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. This verse from Isaiah is spoken of seven other times in the Bible. In every instance, it spoke of a pending judgment that was going to come upon the people of God. And so this repetition of this warning that the Bible gives to the unbeliever to not squander the opportunities and the revelation that has been given to you was not to be just to be flippant about the things that we know and to not believe it and to not walk in it. And so Jesus, again, has already spoken of this to the people, this great necessity to believe in him. Look at verse 36 again. While you have the light, me, believe. I'm calling you to believe in the light, me. And if you will believe in me, you will become sons or children of the light. You go back to Isaiah chapter 55 and you hear these words that we see right here in this text. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be what? Found. Seek him now while he may be found. He is in your midst. Seek him now. Call upon him while he is near. And let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God. For God and praise his name will abundantly pardon the sinner you look at around at our world today and you have to ask the question why 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 when we share with people why does our culture think that some of the things that they seem to so approve of just in a logical way should never be approved of the issue of abortion the issue of some of the the gender stuff that's going on and the issue of some of some, some of a multitude of, of other things that are taking place in our country, why do we affirm that those things are right when it's really clear that it is not right? And, and Paul gives us a unique perspective of this. There's an enemy of every believer. There's an enemy of God. And he has, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, he has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Why? Why does, why does he blind? Why does he blind the eyes of their mind? Listen to what Paul says. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Christ had come to reveal himself, to reveal the Father, to reveal the way, to pay the way. And there he is in the midst, and the people are rejecting him. And because of that, their hearts are blind. And if you think back when we were in the book of Romans, Romans 9 through 11, Paul writes about the consequences of this rejection of the Jewish people of Christ, their, their long-awaited Messiah. And so, so, so there was a hardening, partial hardening of their hearts so the Gentiles would enter into the kingdom of God. And this, this partial hardening eventually until the amount of the Gentiles comes in and then there will be, um, from what we understand, a softening of the heart but right now the heart's hard because of the rejection that is there because of what they what they did in rejecting Christ and so this rejection is the great cause of spiritual blindness and it eventually leads to a hard-heartedness to Christ 
Some of y'all like bitter dark chocolate. God bless your soul. Give me milk chocolate for the most part. Occasionally I'm okay with, with dark chocolate. But if you're a milk chocolate person and I were to open up a package that said 85% cacao, that's bitter. There's no sweetness that's in there. And, and you're a milk chocolate person. And I would just say to you, yeah, I know the package says 85% cacao. And I know now that I've undone this, it's, it's like, it's black. I mean, that, that, that's not milk chocolate that's there. But trust me, this is milk chocolate. This is milk chocolate. So let me break you off a piece. And I tell you, it's, it's sweet. You're going to love this dark chocolate that I promise is milk chocolate. You're going to love it. And if you were to bite in that and you don't like dark chocolate, it would not be sweet. It would be what? Incredibly bitter. Do you remember what Isaiah said in chapter 4? He says these words. He says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I know we've talked about it a lot in these days, but I, the repetitive nature is part of the biblical life. Jesus repeats things a lot. You look around in our culture today, and that's what dominates the culture. What's dark, we're calling light, and what's light, the culture's calling dark, and we're told to just be okay with that. And I just want to remind us, we, we, we can't be okay about some things. We just can't be okay about certain things. Because if God's people become okay about certain things, then we become blind to the truth, and eventually our heart gets hard, to eventually we're just like, okay, yeah, just believe whatever you want to do, do whatever you want to do, it's totally okay as long as it works for you. And this working for you is going to lead to the damnation of so many people. We are not the truth setters. We are not the way of salvation. He is. And so this repeated warning from Isaiah that John is inserting here for us, this warning of, of this rejecting God's truth and rejecting God, it's going to bring a blindness and it's going to bring a hardness of heart. Let's look at the next one, look at verse 41. Here's another reason why we are at the place that we are at. Why things were they were in here in John chapter 12. And it is rejecting the eyewitness testimony. So John gives us a unique perspective. And I, and I believe that he's affirming what they are experiencing as the apostles. Going back to Isaiah who is greatly affirmed by the Jews. So he says in 41 John writes Isaiah wrote these things and said these things for this reason Isaiah saw his glory Christ's glory and he Isaiah spoke of him y'all remember which chapter Isaiah saw the glory of Christ Isaiah chapter 6 in the year that King Uzziah died I saw the Lord high and exalted the train of his robe filled the temple and 
the Godhead's talking with each other. Who's gonna, who are we going to send? Who's going to go for us? And Isaiah's like, I'll go. But yet Isaiah realizes, no, no, I live among a people of unclean lips. And so an angel comes and takes a coal, a burning coal, and comes to Isaiah and cleanses him and touches his lips to bring cleansing. And so Isaiah saw a vision of the glorified Christ. And then he began to speak about it and he began to write about the revelation of this one whom he saw that the angels just said over and over, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And, and so Isaiah, Isaiah is an eyewitness of this and wrote about this. And so in Isaiah chapter 53, this beautiful picture of the suffering Messiah that we love so much. Isaiah got the picture and understanding of what that meant and what that looked like. And so he saw his glory. He got more revelation of the glory of Christ that has come to us in these 66 chapters. And now we come to the New Testament. And I want to really strongly emphasize this. Really important for us this morning. Eyewitnesses are really important. And particularly biblical eyewitnesses. So Isaiah, John writes, saw the glory of Christ, spoke of the glory of Christ, wrote of the glory of Christ, and now John is writing as an eyewitness about the glory of Christ and the things that he's seen. And I want you to do something with me. Will you turn to your right and go to 2 Peter chapter 1 just for a moment? And then we've got one other thing to look at. 2 Peter chapter 1 the Bible has come to us from eyewitnesses so I want to read verses 16 through 19 the first part there and I want you to notice the word we that Peter uses this pronoun so let's read that 2 Peter 1 beginning in verse 16 for we and he's speaking of the apostles, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, this is the Father speaking, this is up on the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Look at 18. We, ourselves, heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with Him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now listen, church, before we move on to the last point. John, who was an eyewitness, gave us seven specific, unique miracles, revelations of Christ in his gospel that we talked about a while ago, who also saw so many more things, but highlighted these seven. He goes back to the Old Testament and says, hey, I want to remind you, Isaiah saw the glory of Christ. And he spoke of Him. He spoke of the glory that he saw connected to Christ. And now 
now Peter and now John, and particularly Peter here, is saying this, we saw Him. We were with Him. We heard the Father speak. We were on the mountain when Moses and Elijah came down. And it was so amazing. And they were talking together about the coming days of Christ dying. Can you imagine listening to that conversation? Jesus, Moses, and Elijah talking about that. The writers tell us and give us insight into that reality. And so, so Peter's saying, we, we saw this. And church, I want us to know this this morning. That it needs to be deep inside of our bones. We can trust the reliability of the Scripture for it has come to us, yes, under the sovereignty of God, but it has come to us from eyewitnesses. They weren't, Peter says, we didn't follow cleverly devised myths. We weren't making up these stories. We didn't go somewhere to help hear this latest preacher talk about this stuff. No, we, we didn't make up anything. Peter says, I saw this. I was there. I heard the Father say, this is my Son. And I'm well pleased with Him. So you listen to him. And so one of the reasons we are at the place that we are at in our country today is we have rejected the eyewitness testimony of the apostles. We have rejected the eyewitness testimony of Isaiah who saw the glory of Christ and spoke of it, wrote it, and communicated it. And these apostles, every one of them but John, gave their life for what they saw and what they heard as martyrs and again we live in a day in which jesus generation were eyewitness of his glory and that glory was rejected and again i just want to remind us this morning we do not need somebody to come from heaven to tell us about jesus we have eyewitnesses who are with jesus who have already told us what he's like how amazing how loving how pure and how merciful. So we trust the apostles' testimony. Paul staked his life on it. Listen to what Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Listen to this. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So our salvation is not connected to Peter, his life, but it's connected to the testimony of Peter who spoke about the glory of Christ. It is connected to the testimony of Isaiah. So there is tremendous credibility of resting and trusting in the eyewitness testimony that has come to us from the apostles and the prophets. And the Bible has so much credibility because it was written by those to whom God spoke and to whom God revealed Himself. You see, these men and women in times past did not get caught up in a lie and again go all over the world starting churches based on a lie. They didn't become martyrs for a lie. They did all of this because they were eyewitnesses of His glory. And let's close with this one. Look at 42 and 43. This one dominates our American church culture. Nevertheless, 
Many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So we have to ask the question, what is this referring to? We have to ask the question, are these true believers, if they believed, but they weren't willing to confess, are these true believers? And I'm going to put forth this morning, these are not true believers. These are people who mentally looked and thought, sure looks like the one Isaiah wrote about. Sure looks like the one who's the fulfillment of this writing and this writing and this writing and this prophet. Looks like it. Yeah, I believe that. But I just want to remind us this morning, you must confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And if you're not willing to do that, you cannot be saved. So here are people who secretly thought, yeah, but I, watch this, I'd much rather stay in Judaism in the synagogue than come to know the Savior of the world. And so they were more fearful of people and losing, being embarrassed about confessing Christ and coming to Christ. And so they chose the synagogue over salvation. Eternally separated. Now some of them may have come to faith later at Pentecost. We don't have any idea. But right now, they are not willing to confess that they have come to a place. So I want to remind us, listen to these words of Jesus. Mark chapter 8, verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. And so if they were not willing to confess Christ, and they likely had only mentally recognized some things about Christ, but they had not given their life and come to a place of salvation. And they were much more afraid of being cast out from the synagogue than coming to know Christ as Savior. Look at 43 again. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So they chose a secret life, a secret thought about Jesus, but they didn't want to offend. They didn't want to suffer embarrassment with their peers, or with the religious leaders. They didn't want to have any shame connected to this. And it was all a keeping quiet for the preserving of man's affirmation to be personally recognized and affirmed and to keep their reputation among others. So let me close with two final thoughts. You may not like me this morning, and I'm okay with that. I want you to like me, but I would much rather tell you the truth that you've got to come to Jesus today and repent of your sin, and you be offended by that, than to walk out of here lost. I want to tell you the truth. That's why we preach the way we do. and We do things here at LifePoint. LifePoint's not perfect. But we have a passion, do we not, for God's Word and the truth of God's Word. And we're going to tell it like it is. 
These are, these are not my tell it like it is. We look, these are eyewitness John words. John, under the inspiration of the Spirit, wrote these words. Who understand, understood as an eyewitness what was going on in his day. Why were people rejecting the one they've been waiting for for thousands of years? And so he told us, why have we gotten to the place in this country where Christ is just mocked and mocked and mocked and in so many churches, far too many churches, the exaltation of Christ in the preaching of the Word is not a priority in these churches. How in the world do you get to that place? Well, John just has told us today how you get to that place. And there becomes a blindness and a hardness of heart where there are denominations in this country who have no idea that God's checked out of the place. And He's turned them over to their bad theology and, 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 and they have no clue about what's happening and taking place. But I have hope this morning. You want some hope? Do you know what still overcomes hardness of heart and blindness and lostness and mockery of God? The work of the cross. And I have great hope today. The cross can overcome our messed up spiritual culture in America. The cross has the power to change your life and your life and everybody's life in here. The power of the cross has the power to free us from addictions. The power of the cross has the power to free us from our past. It has the power to, to move us to let go of our anger at God. And the great hope today is that freedom comes in the, in the power of the cross. And so I, I, I look at 2,000 years ago. I, I can't imagine what it was like to sit on a hillside and hear him teach. I can't wait to hear his voice when this life is over with. And this generation for three years saw unbelievable things and said, no, I know we're your people, but we're not going to receive you. We would rather have life without you. So how about go, why don't you go to a cross this afternoon and we'll mock you. And grace is so amazing that as he hung there, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't have any clue what they are doing right now. So this is the offer. And John's, again, giving us deep, unique insight as to why people reject and again, I want to remind us of this. I, I don't need Michael, the archangel, to come. That would be pretty awesome if he showed up today. But I don't need that. I don't need King David to leave heaven to come back down here. We have the testimony, and it's enough, of the eyewitness accounts of the prophets and the eyewitness accounts of the apostles. And it's fully enough for us to believe that all of this stuff about Jesus is absolutely true. That's why the culture is going to continue to mock, and guess what? That's all right. We'll lovingly pray for them and share with them and do apologetic work with them, but they're, they're going to continue to reject. But then there will be people whom the power of cross, the cross will snatch them and they will confess, and they will believe, 
that Jesus is everything that the eyewitnesses spoke about. And they'll become like us. Not afraid. I, some, some, of our, some of our group are, there's a new abortion clinic, if you didn't know that, in McKinney that's been opened up. And so they, some, some of the people of our church and other places have been there sharing the gospel and sharing um, with people or trying to share with people that's there. So this is, this is what believers do. We, we stand for the truth. So we see in our culture <clears throat> that our culture says aborting babies is light. And we're like, no, it's not. That's darkness. And we're going to call it out when you call that light and good. We're not. That's evil. That's not good. And so as Christians, this is our life. Is the world going to like that? No, the world's never like that. Do you remember Noah? He's the only believer, the only follower of God in his generation. Sometimes we stand alone. But praise God that we have believers in our still, there's still many deep remnant biblical believers in our country today. And I think there's great hope connected to that because we know that hope lies and is found in the gospel of Christ. Let's pray.